are listening to The Great Light Podcast. This podcast is a production of Great Light Studios. For more information and resources, or to watch our films, go to greatlightstudios.com or find us on Facebook or YouTube. If you would like to support the ministry of Great Light Studios, you can do so easily and securely through our website. There, you can also find both video and audio versions of the podcast. We're going to talk about the Sabbath. Sure. Obviously, this this is one of the primary uh, criticisms that myself or Christians will get by this group. If you, if you run into these guys, uh, the World Mission Society, Church of God mm-hmm. members, what they're going to do is immediately, um, almost immediately begin to tell you about how Christians have changed the Sabbath. Sure. Change it to... Sunday, which is always interesting. They, they have a hard time because I've had a few people come up to me with that tactic and, and they don't know what to do because they say, you know, do you, you know, rest on the Sabbath? And I say, yeah. Yeah. And then they're like, wait, what? Are you a Christian? Yes. Right. Wait, you're not supposed to do that. Right. I'm like, why not? <laughs> yeah. And then they don't know where to go from there. Yeah. It's the assumptions, right? Like right. they, they know mm-hmm. what you believe and right. how you practice your because faith. Because they're, they're, they've tailored their, their tactic um, to uh, critique and criticize a specific stream exactly. of Christianity. And yeah. the church is quite broad and diverse. You yeah. look at on a global scale. There's Christians that keep all the feasts. Absolutely. Um, but the interesting thing is their, their attacks, like you just said, they tailor those criticisms toward those that certain group of Christians. Right. And their criticisms only work if you answer <laughs> the no, right way. If yeah. you answer the right way. So when yeah. you answer the wrong way, it's like, oh, well... I don't. Well, I don't have a play in my playbook for this. Yes. Um, so, uh, can you explain that? Like when you say uh, yes to that question, or yes. when you say you do keep the mm-hmm. Sabbath, yes. What do you mean? Mm. Um, what I mean is, is I I have a day um, every week that I, I set aside. I'm I'm pretty busy. I know you're really busy. A lot of us who live in the West, especially. Um, have very full lives, maybe too full, I think, if we're honest. And uh, a few years ago, I felt uh, encouraged by the Lord that I I was making myself too busy, even doing things for Him, and that I should, you know, practice Sabbath, that I should set aside a day every week where I'm going to be very intentional about not filling up that day but instead setting aside that day to um, many things, meet with the Lord, just be in his presence, uh, actually like rest, not just physically rest, but like emotional rest. Like I'm not going to think about what I need to do um, in the the coming week. I'm not going to like think too hard about what kind of a week I've just had, whether it was good or bad, but I'm just going to enjoy this day with him and, and really, um, notice like be be mindful of the good good things that he's put in my life and i can have some really bad weeks but until i take that time to just cease from all my activity and actually intentionally notice like wow i have an amazing wife i have such awesome children i am so blessed that you know, somehow miraculously, there's always food on the table mm. in our home. Like there's so many good things um, in my life 
that I, I could spend, you know, day after day after day, not noticing, not enjoying, not being thankful for. Um, and that's all, those are all gifts from my father in heaven. Um, and relationship with him is the ultimate gift. And you have to make space for a relationship. I'm, you know, you're married, you know, that's like, so the first thing you learn when you get married is like, oh, wow, you know, I can't just, you know, do what I was doing before, but now I have this sweet wife at home, you know, waiting for me. No, like you have to invest in the relationship. You have to make time, make space to, to be together and um, be vulnerable with one another and, and, and allow that, that relationship to be nurtured and grow. And it's the same way with our relationship with the Lord. Like if we're not being intentional about making time for that, it's not going to grow. And not because he doesn't want it to, because we're not making ourselves available for it. So you, you use the word cease and, mm. and probably you use that intentionally. Maybe. <laughs> that um, might be in the Bible. Yeah. So cease or, or stop. Um, and then also you mentioned making room. Mm. Um, yes. And so I think when, when I think about that, it, it makes me think about Jesus saying, uh, man was not made for Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. Yes. And how Sabbath is actually this gift that enables us to make room, not just in our physical Mm-hmm. hourly schedule yeah uh but inwardly sabbath i think can is meant to and should remind us to make room for god having his rightful position in our hearts and in our minds yes and so you use that word cease or stop yeah which is what uh the word Sabbath, uh, you'd know more about this than I do, but in Hebrew is mm-hmm. Shabbat, right? Mm-hmm. Which that word simply means, or, or maybe a simple uh, way of, of describing what that meaning is, is to cease, to stop. Would that be correct? It actually comes from the Hebrew word seven. Seven? Yeah. Okay. Well, now we're getting really deep. I know. Yeah. And so the word, what the, the etymology that, that you're um, referring to actually comes from, like, the, the name of the day doesn't come from ceasing. The idea of ceasing comes from being named, having similarity with the day. It's like you're, you're doing the day, what the day is called. Really? Yes. I did not know that. Yeah. See, that's why you're here, so I can learn things. Yeah. And I, I only know most of this stuff because um, Arabic and Hebrew, so I grew up speaking yeah. Arabic. Arabic and Hebrew are, are so similar. And so in Arabic, you know, all of our days of the week are just the numbers. So we don't, you know... This isn't shocking to anybody, but like the days of the week that we use in English are all pagan, right? Mm-hmm. Monday is the moon day right. for the moon god. Sunday right. is the sun day right. for the sun god, right? Yep. And all the other days are the days of, you know, depending on what part of Europe you're in, either it's, it's Zeus or it's, you know, Odin, you yeah. know, Wednesday is, is Odin's day, um, Thor's day, right? Um, and not the Marvel universe, like the pagan god right. Thor, right? That's right. where all that comes from. But in Arabic, we call it uh, day one. Day two, day three, day four, all the way to day seven. Really? And, and you Hebrew, just have numbers. We just have the numbers. And so this, the seventh day is day seven. Yeah. We call it the seventh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you say, what are you doing on in the seventh day? Yeah. So it's interesting. Like that's honestly with uh, World Mission Society, Church of God, um, you acknowledging that the days of the week in the West are named after pagan gods. <laughs> 
they're going to jump all over that. But right. but yeah, I mean, but, it's historical. Right. Stuff. They were they were already that way. Christians didn't do right. that. They just right. Christians went with the flow. They they, yeah. they were in a pagan culture, and yeah. the pagans had already named everything. Right. And we're so, not we're not worshiping the Sunday or the sun god on Sunday. Correct. We shouldn't any, be any more yes. than we're worshiping the gods that are represented by the other days. Correct. Um, so maybe though, in so in layman's terms, um, you're saying that Sabbath comes from, or, or how would you word that from seventh day? Yeah. That is its ultimate meaning. Yes. So, but within the word Sabbath or Shabbat or, or mm-hmm. whatever word you want to use, it does entail this idea of that word you used earlier of ceasing, right? Right. Of stopping. Right. So maybe talk about. Talk about that a little bit, and what, why, do, I guess, what is the meaning that uh, you feel is is behind that? Like getting into what ultimately the Sabbath mm-hmm. means. What is the Sabbath about? Yes. What is the Sabbath intended uh, to to do for us? Yeah. Um, in relation with and in God us, God and in us. Right? Yeah. Sure. So uh, a great technique whenever you want to study anything anything and and when we're talking about what what is the sabbath what are these things like i the the only source that i'm going to use is the bible you know because we're talking about not what does the sabbath mean what did it mean to me when i was a muslim <laughs> or or what does it mean to hindus or does it mean to atheists because it can mean nothing it can mean something different whatever we're like we're talking about what how does the bible um introduce us to the concept right. of sabbath and, and what does the Bible have to say about that day? What makes it unique? What does it have to say about what we should or shouldn't do on that day? Those types of things. And whenever you want to study something like that, the best way I found, um, in, and I've been studying scripture for now 25 years. And so I've learned a lot of ways not to study the Bible, like ways that aren't helpful. And I've learned some things that are helpful. And one of the best ways is find the first appearance of that word, whatever you're studying, whether it's faith, right. whether it's salvation, whether it's um, repentance, redemption any any big theological meaty word mm-hmm. find the first time that that's used in a sentence in the bible and pay attention to the story that you find that word in and often that story will help create like it'll paint the, the painting for you it, it it will set the canvas just right for you to understand oh that's that's what that's really about and then if you take that original image and then begin to look, okay, as you carry, as that word shows up again and again through scripture, do you notice how uh, every time it's almost like it's pointing back to that yeah, original, it's linking, to it. it's linking right. back to it yeah. over and over yeah. and over and over and over again. So that, you know, for a word like salvation, the first time it shows up is at the parting of the Red Sea. And then from that point on, which is really interesting. That is interesting. You know, like yeah. all that's all the way, you know, about a third of the way into Exodus. Right. So we went through the whole book of Genesis and the word salvation never yeah. came up. And you see you see specifically moments where Abraham is saved. Right. But he, but the author intentionally, right. the author saving that word. Yeah. Because they want, like, it's, I, I just convinced this is an intentional part on uh, the part of the, the, the biblical authors. They, they, they introduce a new word into our vocabulary at, at the perfect moment that really captures and defines fully what that word means. And the parting of the Red Sea is the big moment. Like no other scene that's happened before then could fully capture what to be saved by Yahweh means. 
So then where does Sabbath first show up? Like strikingly enough on the very first page of the Bible, it opens mm -hmm. with Sabbath and the, the, the creation story of Genesis chapter one and a little bit into two, uh, is, is setting the stage for us uh, about, you know, why, why we're here, what, what is here, what is this place, you know, how did, how did all this stuff, you know, around us end up here? Does it have purpose? Does it have meaning? You know, all the types of questions that humans have been asking um, for thousands and thousands right. of years. Like, you know, so this is the Bible, um, you know, answering an oft-asked question that all the other religions, by the way, in the ancient Near East, we're, we're trying to answer that same question. The Egyptians had their own version, like of a Genesis one story, the Babylonians, Sumerians, Cadians, they had their own versions. The Canaanites had their own idea um, about these things. But um, what the author of, of Genesis is doing is saying this, yeah, I know you, you've heard a story. Let me shut the record straight. This is like the actual story of, of why, why all this is here and who did this? How did, how did we end up here? you know, humans in this mm -hmm. planet and all of that. And it's a story um, that's ordered around seven days, not six days, not eight days, not 10 days. That would be nice and round for metric system loving people. But no, it's like seven, seven days. And I, I don't know how, how familiar you are or your viewers are with chiasms. Not very. Not very. But it's something we need to. It's something we got to dive into. Yeah. So the the authors of the Bible love chiasms. They love them, and they use them as teaching tools throughout story after story after story. And so what all the chiasm is is, it's this idea where you you order the narrative or the poem or whatever it is that you're saying. You can even do it as an, you can even order an essay in this way, where the the first point and the last point mirror one another and then the second point and the second to last point mirror one another and and when i say mirror i don't mean that they're verbatim the same the thing same sometimes thing. they are in these right. stories then it's like really obvious what's happening um, but more often than not it's just there's a slight variation there's, and there's a connection between and th exactly yeah. there's some relationship the author's saying there's some relationship between mm -hmm. these two things sometimes it's immediately obvious other times you really need to sit and think about it so do you have a like a, an example of that that pe like something that people would be familiar with that you could give as, as an example of a chiasm? Oh my goodness! Like almost every page of the Bible, this stuff is going on. Um, let me think. I'm trying to think of a. Is there one in Genesis that relates one. to the Sabbath? Well, Genesis chapter one is a chiasm. Yeah. That's where I was going with this. Okay. So the seven days are a chiasm. Uh huh. Um, and if you think about it, it means like there's there's a relationship between the first day and the last day. There's a relationship between the second day um, and the sixth day right. and so on and so forth. So there's something really special about day four. And, um, you know, uh, Jewish Hebrew um, students of the Bible have noticed this, you know, for thousands of years. Right. And they, they, you always want, what you always want to find is the center of the chiasm because the center of the chiasm is sort of like the, gives you either the key verse or the, the key phrase or even the key word that, summarizes whatever the big idea of this whole thing was that you just read. So sometimes you read a story and you're like, what is the point of that? I don't understand. But then you realize it's a chiasm and you find the center of the chiasm. It'll be some phrase or, or something like that. That'll be like, oh, that's, 
that's the that's the thing that's being highlighted that this whole story exists um, at least in part to convey that that message mm-hmm. hmm that's really interesting so here I'll, I'll give an example of a, of a chiasm in the gospel so um, I've been teaching through the gospel of Matthew and Matthew is a chiasm and um, it's it's alternating between sections of narrative like just story it's moving the story forward with action um, and dialogue and then sections of teaching just like monologues by Jesus where he's you know giving some some message or sermon um, or you know extended you know warnings or words of encouragement and so it's alternating between these two things all the way through um, so that the um, uh, the center of the whole Gospel of Matthew is Jesus's teachings on the parables. What are the parables about? Hmm. So that's that's the big idea of all of Matthew's Gospel. Is is buried in the parables. So that's just something you know and I, to I think ass- about. I assume you're not gonna spoil and, and give away what. The, no, you gotta you gotta yeah. dig it. You gotta go dig for it because that's the fun. It, right? That's the fun of this. Yeah. So what what is it in Genesis? <clears throat> like what what is conveyed about Sabbath in Genesis? Mm-hmm. That if if um, if we look at that, what does that say about what Sabbath is and what Sabbath means mm-hmm. for us? Right. So the point of Sabbath in in the Genesis story is the the way that the writer of Genesis one and and that creation narrative. Is, is framing the story around um, the purpose of, of all of this matter, all of this creation that God's making, that God was making for himself a temple. There's a lot of temple language. It's mm-hmm. the idea of, of uh, ordering and filling, ordering and filling. Like there's just so much going right. on there. But, but the main idea to like an ancient um, hearer or reader of the text would be, oh, what they would hear with the language that's being used is the world is like a temple. It's, it's a play and, and a temple and, and the ancient mind was that was a house for a God to take his rest in. Hmm. It's a place where he would be sort of enthroned um, on the earth. And it's a place where heaven and earth overlap one another. It's a place where man could meet God, could yes. interact with them, could right. fellowship with them, which is what, right. you know, the temple that Israel set up, obviously yes. it was it was about that. It was yeah, about, it all points is, back to Eden. This is the way that you yes. can approach God. Um, and that's, you're saying, uh, that's what Eden was. That's what right. the garden was. It was this Absolutely. temple space where God intended to dwell. It was like an organic temple. Yeah. It was a temple not built with human hands. Right. And it was this place where God would walk Yes. In the cool of the day. In it, intimacy. It, yeah. So it, it, it conveys this idea. The temple, the idea of temple conveys, I think, for a lot of people, they'll hear, they'll hear you know, the Garden of Eden was a temple, and they'll think of like a fancy cathedral church right. or something. Because that's what we've made that right. to be. But the temple, what you're saying, is is more about the relational mm-hmm. aspect. It's of, the concept of temple. What does a temple symbolize? And all, you know, even, you know, going back to... Um, you know, things like the pyramids in Egypt, you know, these most ancient structures, they're all shaped uh, like, you know, mountains mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, the, these towers, right? It's all about trying to create a meeting space because mountains represented a kind of a meeting spot between the sky and the land or the heavens and the earth. And that's what we say in English, but the literal language in Hebrew is the sky and the land. Mm. 
and the the mountaintop is is where those two places come together and that seemed to ancient man like that's where the gods would live if they right. live anywhere they live there and so if we want to meet with the gods we go up into the mountains as high as we can right and so that's why the language um that in in um genesis 2 that describes this this garden meeting place between god and man it's it's described as being on a mountaintop so Eden is on the top of a mountain. and doesn't say that explicitly in Genesis, though the writer of Ezekiel will make it explicit mm. um, that, that's, that we should get that. We should read that story and get, of course, it's on a mountain. And then we think about it. Well, how in the world do four rivers run out of a place unless it's, you know, water only, last time I checked, runs downhill. Right. So that would mean it have to be in a high place for all the rivers Okay. To descend from it and yeah. water all the yeah. land of the so earth. So it was if the rivers were all the four rivers running mm. downward. Yeah, logic just says okay, Eden was elevated. It was elevated, and there was a spring of water and enough abundant, overflowing living water That's that it would create four rivers yeah. that would water the whole land. And when you look at the four rivers um, in Genesis two, like it's specifically watering the lands of all like. The nation, what Israel would have thought of as like the nations mm -hmm. and the enemy nations. It's watering Egypt. It's watering Babylon. Mm -hmm. It's watering Assyria. Which is kind of what God wanted man to to do in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's in, something there. There's so much there. It's so deep. Yeah. But yeah, and so God rests on the seventh day to say, um, and there, there's so much to this. And, and you know, it, anybody who wants to like dig into this, you know, can look into um, the, the Midrash, um, which is just the collected commentaries of, of Jewish thinkers for mm. thousands of years. Mm. And, and just see how the, the, the Jews understood the, the point of that ceasing. Um, but one perspective will be that, you know, um, Yahweh, their God, um, he, knew how, he, knew, he knows not just how to create things, how to, how to bring forth, you know, new life, new right. creation, all of that. But he also knows when to say enough. He also know he also knows that you know uh, once you unleash something like that, like just letting it go and just replicate, 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 replicate. It's pretty soon, like at first, it's really good, hmm. and then suddenly, like life is choking itself out because there's too much. Hmm. And so he knows exactly where the balance is. When is it? When is enough enough? Mm -hmm. When is when is this this all this goodness needs to have a boundary? It needs to have borders because if it goes beyond that, what 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 started as good doesn't isn't good anymore. And so there, there's there's something of that happening there, but then there's also very much the, you know, when it says that you know that God rested, um, we tend to unfortunately in English we think rest, think oh God went and took a nap because right. he's tired, right. and that's not the idea at all. It, you know, God is king, and he's the creator God, and so he's king of the universe, Malach um, Haolam in Hebrew. And so the idea of him resting, where do kings rest? They rest on their throne. This was the idea that God, you know, set up this, this temple creation. And then once everything was just right and just what it needed to be and no more, no less, he then took his seat upon his throne. And now he gets to enjoy okay. this I gotta place say, that I he's gotta made say for himself. Because yeah. it's just, it's low hanging fruit. Well, go ahead. <laughs> so God finishes this this work of creation and creates this this dwelling place where man will be with him yes this temple idea yeah a, a perfect creation yes 
in that he obviously commissions man to go fill the earth, multiply, mm-hmm. have right. dominion. Take rule. this good thing and you get to right. fill the rest of the world with this. And so God does all this work. Mm-hmm. It says he, in Genesis 2, he finishes this work yes. and then he rests. You're, you're, and in that you're saying it conveys this idea of a king, not who goes and takes a nap, but sits down on a throne yes. having, having established this and finished this work that is good. Yes. And so I think it's impossible not to connect that to Jesus Christ, sure. who finished the work of, of redemption, who, yes. who finished the work of uh, salvation, said it is finished. Yes. And then the <laughs> a repeated thing over and over in the New Testament um, is that... And when does he finish? When does he say it is finished? At the end of the sixth day? The end of the sixth day, right. And he resurrects, and then it, it, the New Testament tells us he... He sat down yes. at the right hand of the throne of God. So Christ finished his work, said in essence, it is good yeah. what he had accomplished mm-hmm. for mankind and their redemption. Right. And then he he is seated now at the right hand of the throne yes. of God. So there's some connections there maybe. I think they're intentional. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's sort of our introduction, that whole story. And I'm, oh my goodness, like we could spend an hour just diving into all the juicy goodness that is in Genesis one, but that's the foundation story of of where we even get the idea of a seventh day that is um, significant. Um, it's and it, it's it's almost like a bonus day in a way because you, know, you have this perfect like three three cycles like three three days of ordering three days of filling and they're the two kind of connect and overlap one another. And then you think it'd be finished, but now we have this extra day that is all about now the enjoyment and the relationship um, now available to us because of what God has done in the six days. Mm. Now we have the seventh day to actually do something with it. And enjoy it. Yes. Right. And so as Christ accomplished his good work on the cross, finished it, is now seated. Yes. What he's calling believers, what he's calling, well, the world mm-hmm. to do is not to now run off and try to work and do something yes. to accomplish what he has already accomplished. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously if Adam and Eve had, you know, been brought into creation and then started trying to tweak and, and twerk with God's creation and make it better, that wasn't what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to enjoy yes. what he had freely right finished for them. Mm-hmm. And so, so again, man, what a, the Sabbath, the Sabbath is, is in, in my mind increasing. I'm just seeing how mm-hmm. filled with the gospel it is. Like the right. Sabbath tells us a story yes. uh, that, that, that is the story ultimately of the gospel. It's the yes. story of salvation. It's the story of how God ultimately wants us to relate to him. Yes. Which is in this, this way where we aren't striving and efforting and exhausting ourselves emotionally, physically, or spiritually to to build those pyramids and try to reach the sky. Yeah, but build he, our own Eden. Right. He's he's provided an he Eden provided for us, it a new Eden. Set, he set them in there in this yes. this this world that was already mm-hmm. perfected. It was already made for them. Um, yeah, and then they get excluded from it because of sin, and they can't get back. They can't go back the way they came. 
And, and so then you have like these, these many long years and generations of, um, you know, humanity not being able to enjoy that rest. They, they, they've lost the Sabbath in a sense. You could see it that way. And mm-hmm. so they try to make for themselves their own rest. And, you know, stories like uh, the Tower of Babel story is an example of what it looks like when humanity tries to make their own Eden um, and find their own sort of Sabbath rest on their own apart from God. Mm. And what it always looks like is, at the end of the day, human humans exploiting other humans. Right. You know, and, and, sh- and, and hierarchy and stratification of society. And, you know, and the, what the reality then becomes, you know, the lie is we can all enjoy our own Sabbath rest. We can all have our own piece of Eden and we don't need God and we don't need, you know, anything else. And, but the truth is that what it becomes is, is a small group of people at the top enjoying lots and lots of rest <laughs> and many, many people at the bottom never getting yep. any rest yep. at all. And that's interesting that this is, this would be jumping ahead. So we won't go too far into this, but I know multiple times within the command of the Sabbath, you know, yes. in Exodus and things like that, yeah. I believe, or Leviticus maybe mm-hmm. where one aspect of the Sabbath, one emphasis is that the Sabbath brings mercy, mm-hmm. rest, and refreshment to not only man, but even the animals. Yes, the animals get to have even, their Sabbath even too. Even the animals get a Sabbath. And yes. so so the Sabbath, when you lose the Sabbath, it results in sin. It results in mm-hmm. power and subjection over mm-hmm. the weak. It, right. it results in uh chaos yeah uh and and again this this separation Mm -hmm. from god yes yeah and it's interesting isn't it that you know we we, the sabbath shows up very very early on in the story and it's it's uh, intimately connected to our purpose as humans um as as image bearers um it it connects very intimately to the our our position as uh children of God mm-hmm. made for relationship with him. And, and then when that um, is broken by sin, we kind of lose track of the Sabbath for a long time. Like Sabbath doesn't show up, you know, that, that I can recall, and I could be wrong on this, but I, I don't recall it showing up anywhere else along the rest of the stories in, in Genesis, um, not in, in Abraham's um, I don't think it shows lifetime. up again until... Like, I mean, they're still counting days. Like they still know when the seventh right. day is. And again, you know, the word in Hebrew just means it's the seventh yeah. day. Um, and there's some things about, you know, circumcision on the eighth and all that. So they're still counting their days and they know how to count their days. Um, but as far as like observing, um, doing something special on that day, recognizing that day right. in a special way, doesn't show up again until the Exodus story, which is exactly when we also get at the same time the tabernacle, which is the new temporary mobile Eden right? that, that travels along with the camp, which is the place of where God rests Mm -hmm. and his presence is there and it fills the place and it's a place where people, humans can once again come and approach in very, you know, very specific ways, not just any way they want, but in very specific ways. There's a, there's a pathway to come now and approach and meet with God. Hmm. And that's when suddenly the Sabbath comes back into and becomes a big deal again for people and for these particular people. So this is kind of just a, a good maybe primer on the Sabbath. And, and I feel like we've we've opened up about 50 cans of worms. That, yes, that like, so many. You know, so much more we could dig into on, on mm-hmm. so many things. But with 
Genesis, this, this idea of rest, um, what, what is it that from the beginning, from, from Genesis, what is it that this Sabbath is about again? Like what, what is it, what does it tell us about who God is and what and how he desires us to relate to him? Yeah. So, you know, if we just go, you know, just straight to the text. So it says, you know, and on this, so this is chapter two, verse two. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Or that what it really means is it's, it's set apart. It's special. It's unique. It's not to be treated like the other six days because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so that seventh day um, becomes, and, and we'll get into this when we start looking at the Ten Commandments, the, the seventh day then becomes um, a, a, a monument in a way, a monument in time. It's a testimony that this stuff didn't just get here randomly, that this world wasn't created by a chorus of competing gods, which each contributed their part, that this this universe was the product of a single beautiful mind that wanted to create space um, for ultimately for humanity mm. to, to exist and to live and to thrive and to be his image bearers and to fill this place with his glory and his goodness. And so he, he's, he's altered the human calendar. And it's so interesting to me that anywhere you go on the planet, it seems like, and I'm sure there has to be some exception somewhere, but you look at all the ancient cultures and they all ordered their calendar according to seven days. Like it's just so ancient and so intrinsic. It's, it's you know, obviously there's something in us and in our DNA that, that we want to see, uh, comprehend time is ordered in this way. And he said that this seventh day is this reminder. Every week we're reminded again, we are not here by accident. We are here with a purpose. The world was made good. God is good because the world is good. He made a good world. And we have, um, um, we were made for relationship with him. And are we living into that folder? Now, every week it's another opportunity to reflect on that and say, am I, am I living like someone who was made for relationship with God and, and made to bear his image and reflect his goodness and his light into the world? Or have I just gotten sucked into all the other narratives that, the world and its systems want to feed me. Mm. Um, and so I think there's, there's something there in that about um, why, why this day is important for us, at least from God's perspective. It's, it's a forever reminder. It's a monument to, to who he is because mm -hmm. he's holy. He's special. He's not like all the stories that, that we've you know in, invented or created over the years to explain where we came from. And he's not like any any God of any other religion that you can find on the planet, he is unique. There is something totally different about him. And for me, um, it, it comes out in his amazing grace and mercy. He's just his overpowering generosity. And when you think about, yeah, and the creation story emphasizes that mm -hmm. because he's gone to all these great lengths, you know, to, to create this world and order it and fill it saying seven times over during that story that this is good, this is good, this is good. And who does it end up being good for? It ends up being good for us. It ends up being a world that's perfect for us. 
Right. You know, God doesn't need oxygen. God doesn't need, you know, any of these other things that the, that the earth has that make it the perfect habitat for human beings. He doesn't need any of those things, but we do. And he made it perfect for us. You have been listening to The Great Light Podcast. To find more information and resources, or to watch our films, go to greatlightstudios.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube. If you want to support this program and partner with the Ministry of Great Light Studios, you can do so through our website. There you can also find both video and audio versions of this podcast.